Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of July 29th, 2019. A happy birthday shout out to my twin sister, Linda. On the show today, a couple of interesting Disney patent and trademark applications give hints about upcoming technology in Walt Disney World. And in our main segment, Jim and I talk about an Epcot holiday rumor that's probably not true, but super interesting nonetheless. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who says that every pizza is a personal pizza if you try hard and believe in yourself. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? The heat wave is finally passed here. We, we had Orlando-level temperatures up here, Len, so the family was basically huddled in front of the air conditioning while we binged Stranger Things. What did you think of uh, Stranger Things, by the way? I love the little throwaway gags, like... Paul Reiser, the scientist from the second season, they actually ended season two by making a diner reference. Remember how the Paul Reiser character in Diner was always trying to get the second half of somebody else's sandwich? And <laughs> yes, they actually end with him in a diner situation with the Dave Harbor characters. He's offering, you want half the sandwich? I love that sort of stuff. Oh, before I forget the pizza related stuff. Are you aware of Lombardi's? Oh, of course. Yeah. Have you actually been there? Yeah, I've been there. This is supposedly the first pizza in the United States, at least according to the Pizza Hall of Fame, which, by the way, is a thing. Jim, every day I work towards my induction. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of Hall of Fames that I think I can get into these days. Okay. Fine. That that might be one of them. Well, Lombardi supposedly opened in 1905. And by the way, there is no truth to the rumor that the then four-year-old Walt Disney somehow made his way from Chicago to Manhattan and by using three pizza trays made the very first Mickey Mouse. I, I don't know how these stories get started, Len. I don't know either, Jim, but uh, you know, maybe someday that'll be uh, it'll be taken as, as gospel, as fact. There we go. This My is work our, is done our here. Rumor, our rumor show. This is it right here. All right. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, S. Brennan, Gary E., Adam E. and Avery the Corgi. Okay. And how does he even reach the keyboard? Also, longtime subscribers Keith B., Logan M., and Emmy R. True story, Jim. As Disney interns, they came up with the idea of an African rodeo show for the animal kingdom. And even though they figured out how to ride rhinos and wrangle giraffe, thanks to Emmy, the Okapi are equity performers. And that blew up the show's budget. What could have been, Jim? What could have been? Aren't the Okapi supposedly the ghosts of the forest? How do we even know these equity performers actually showed up? <laughs> it could have, could have just been their agents talking. For That's all right. We know. You know, show business is inscrutable to me, Jim. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Don't forget, folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast for a worry-free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, it looks like Disney's set dates for a couple of things. At D23, the big parks presentation is at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time on August 25th. Jim, does that include the Disney Cruise Line now? Because we're getting to the point where we should start knowing more about the first of the three new ships that Disney's launching in 2020, right? This is true. This is true. This is the beauty of the D23 Expo. Right. You have all of the company's most ardent fans gathered together in one place and by rolling out large chunks of Disney-related news over this three-day corporate love fest, you're virtually guaranteed at least initially to get a positive spin placed on a lot of these stories. 
I don't know if you saw what came out of Comic-Con this past week where they, they ran the trailer for the Picard series that CBS All Access is doing. I did not see it. Well, it's it's worth looking at just for one quick shot, which has the now-retired Admiral Jean-Luc Picard returning to Starfleet headquarters. And he's walking up to this building, and it's one of these things where it's like, that's the Anaheim Convention Center. So it's like they, they evidently did a location shoot there, and I can't help but wonder, given that Starfleet Credo is to explore new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, are they Starfleet getting ready to go to Batu? I, I wonder if you ask nice, maybe you can get Romulan ale at Olga's Cantina. I bet they keep it under the, you know, the bar. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's entirely possible. Uh, I'm not a big Star Trek fan, so I don't really. It's not. It's not my thing. It's okay. It's okay, Len. Ah, you know that, that's. I'm sure. Three days of indoctrination, and you know that that. Remember the Clockwork Orange. You know, we'll get you those eye things, and you'll be just eye fine. things exactly. Keep it. Keep it open. Yeah, uh, so. that's fine. Also, Jim, uh, Disney announced uh, annual passholder previews for. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Those previews happen from August 17th to August 21st, mm-hmm. 2019. Invitations will be uh, sent via email. It looks like this preview is only available to Platinum, Platinum Plus, and Premier Pass holders. Jim, this is right around the time that we thought it would happen. Actually, I thought it would be a little bit longer than just the four days. Mm-hmm. Alice is, has friends who are uh, cast members of Walt Disney World, and just this past weekend, they've made... Black Spire Outpost available for them to book reservations for. So it's interesting how they're getting folks in to sort of test drive this land. It is. I, uh, I'm a little surprised at a couple of things. One, the short duration of the preview. So four days, mm-hmm. uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, five days. Mm-hmm. We know that the cast member previews are the first through the 16th. Mm-hmm. We know it opens on the 29th. Mm-hmm. The 25th is a, uh, in the afternoon is apparently blocked out for another, another preview. But that leaves the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 26th, 27th, and 28th open. My understanding now, though, is that in order to drum up more excitement, there is going to be a major press event. Yeah. At Walt Disney World in August now too is that is some of those passholder dates got pulled back for media event now? Well, this, I th- by the way, this all happened like in the last forty eight hours. The whole press event that wasn't supposed to be in World uh, apparently came together in the last like forty eight hours. Yeah, this gives you some idea of, of concerns at the corporate level, and, and you've got two solid weeks of cast member previews, and they've been cherry picking supposedly. It's not back of the house folks. It's folks who were out in public letting them evangelize like, oh my God, I got into Batu and whether, how amazing it was and you have to check it out. We have 60,000 Walt Disney World employees. Yep. Counting seasonal, I think it's more than that, but, uh, but yeah. If you got all of your front of line folks and evidently as you exit your cast member preview, you're going to be handed a button that says, I've been to Batu," which you're then going to be asked to wear with your cast member uniform. Some sort of nightclub? They play, <laughs> they play Echo and the Bunnymen there? I don't know. Batu sounds like a, uh, a Pet Shop Boys album anyway. It, right, does, it no, does. No, no, no. Depeche Mode. Depeche mm-hmm. Mode. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, Jim. I've been going through the uh, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office filings mm-hmm. for Disney. A couple of quick questions on those for you, if you will. Mm-hmm. Why is Disney trademarking a bunch of stuff around the Golden Girls? Last time I checked... Arthur was still dead. God rest her soul. 
Is this a Betty White comeback vehicle? Not that Betty White ever left, of course. September 2020 marks the 35th anniversary of the debut of Golden Girls on NBC. This was the first new regime at Disney's real hit on television, ran for seven seasons, and over that period of time, Touchstone Television produced 180 episodes, not to mention three spin-offs, Empty Nest, Nurses, and Golden Palace. So given there's so much affection for this 19-era sitcom, Disney plans on staging a huge celebration next year in honor of the 35th anniversary of the Golden Girls' debut. Earlier this year, that live in front of a studio audience thing that Jimmy Kimmel did uh, back in May on ABC. I heard about it. Apparently it did really well. It did. It did. They What they did is they recreated classic episodes of Norman Lear's All in the Family and the Jeffersons. It did so well in the ratings that ABC wants to turn this TV special, this standalone TV special, into a regular thing. Something that the network could then air three times a year with these specials popping up during sweeps in uh, November, February, and May. And among the ideas being floated about classic TV shows that could be resurrected, recreated as part of the live in front of a studio audience is taking one of those episodes of the Golden Girls with the storyline then continued into Empty Nest and then doing these two as a 90-minute television event. So. Oh, sort of like the... Um, okay, so this plays off of like the uh, the back of doing like Grease Live and... There we go. Was it The Sound of Music Live? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So you got to wonder who they're going to get for Dorothy, Blanche, Rose, and of course, Sophia. And somebody at Disney has got to put it together that they have to reach out to some food company and put out an official Golden Girls branded cheesecake. The tie-in is, is is too obvious, Jim. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I, th- I think in addition to this show being rumors, it's this show is full of ideas that Disney can run with. Like we're we're teeing them up, and they can they can just go. That check goes to Len Testa. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish. All right, so one more quick question. While I was going through the trademarks, what is a Disney Shorts launch incubator? Does it have something to do with uh, Disney Plus? Yes, it does. Disney's new subscription streaming service is going to try to blur the lines between what we think of as a, a theatrical release and what we then typically associate for exclusively terrestrial television and, and likewise the stuff that pops up on YouTube and then becomes viral. Just this past weekend, again at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige was on stage and began talking about the next two years and four months worth of films that Marvel Studios is producing. And the interesting thing is... Oh, I saw that. Yeah, a huge slate of, uh, of things, right? Five movies and then five limited series. The limited series are going to feature characters we've been introduced to as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, Loki, uh, Falcon, Vision, and Scarlet Witch. Now, starting in 2021, we're going to start to see these series, these limited series, stuff that happens on these shows, then will directly impact the films that follow. I mean, for example... Oh, they're canon. The TV series are canon from now on. Yeah. And it's so, you know, for example, WandaVision, which stars Vision and the Scarlet Witch, that airs on Disney Plus and spring of 2021 and what happens as part of that limited series then impacts the doctor strange and the multiverse of madness which arrives in theaters in may of that same year to pivot to the disney shorts launch incubator walt disney animation studios has pretty much been tasked to do the same thing as marvel that they have to create material for the subscription streaming service in addition to their usual theatrical shorts what they've decided to do is, well, you remember how when you'd go to see a, a Disney animated film, there would be a 
short in front of it. Oh, yeah. Typically what Disney would do is this would be a place where somebody who worked in story who potentially could become a director of animated features further down the line. This is literally yeah. their yeah, first like shot. Their four-minute shot, yeah. That's it, exactly. If you're only putting out one film, maybe two a year, that means a whole lot of people aren't getting shots at these things. Yeah. On the other hand, if you look at the unending appetite that Disney Plus is going to have for content, the fact that you can then open up this competition to dozens of people at the same time. This is my feeling about uh, 24-hour news, mm -hmm. that uh, if you're a 24-hour news network, you have to show 24 hours of news regardless of whether it's actually news or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is basically Walt Disney Animation Studios using Disney Plus to establish a farm team. Oh, okay. This will be you know, a way to, to sort of have the miners, and if somebody shows real talent or they put a short up on... Disney Plus, and it gets a strong reaction, you advance that person's career. You know, give them a shot at doing something else. So, so it's a it's a way to compete with sort of YouTube on Disney Plus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Makes sense. Makes mm -hmm. sense. All right, cool. Jim, uh, let's move on to the patents. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a patent that Disney had filed for wearable devices called tiles that enabled you to uh, exchange like friendship tokens with somebody else. We thought this was sort of going to be, going to be the next pin trading mm -hmm. for Disney, and we thought that it might work with Magic Bands. Well, uh, since then, Disney's published another patent called Managing Wearable Device Friendships Without Exchanging Personal Information that seems to confirm a Magic Bandy type thing. Mm -hmm. The drawing shows two people wearing with, uh, something on their wrist and holding a phone, two elements of uh, My Magic Plus or My Disney Experience, and uh, initiating uh, quote friendships through the uh, through the phone related to the thing that they're wearing on their wrist. The idea here is that you sometimes want to be quote friends with someone without exchanging personal information. This so on sounds, social media, I, I'm sorry, Lynn. This sounds like every holiday meal I've had over the past ten years. Basically, you're exchanging business cards here, right? This is what this right. is. <laughs> Here's my business card. Let's never talk again. There we go. So. <laughs> Yeah, but you see the drawing, right? I, I, I put uh -huh. the drawing in the uh, in the show notes for us. I mean, this looks like uh, this this looks like magic bands and cell phones, right? Yep. And the idea is that as you're walking around, you know, you might see somebody with uh, with an interesting magic band, or you might say hi to someone, or you know, you, you're in Walt Disney World, you just strike up a conversation with someone. You know, you say let's be friends, but you don't want to tell them all the personal details about your life. Mm -hmm. This is a way of doing it without exchanging any personal information. I get it, but but Jim, this this definitely looks like an in park person-to-person -person thing that incorporates both Magic Bands and, and My Disney Experience, right? No, absolutely. You think that this is going to be like little things that, like like plastic inserts that you can put in your Magic Band? Is that how this is going to work? If you've been to the Magic Band sort of thingamabob shop where you can personalize your bands and that sort of thing, this has been playing with different ways to configure the bands and or, for example, the FOB system. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. This really, though, is about being able to trade characters and experiences. It's hard to describe the items that are going to be traded this way through the Magic Bands. Please notice in the graphic that they use here, it's a Magic Band on one hand, but they're also holding a cell phone on the other hand. Because the idea is that once you can make the exchange, you can literally look at your phone and see the character you just acquired or the right. artifact, so to speak. 
Yeah, so it's it's sort of like Pokemon Go meets Magic Bands meets... You have hit upon the magic phrase. On the other hand, on the basis of what just happened with Wizards Unite, the Harry Potter-esque attempt at Pokemon Go and how that just hasn't taken... That's doing fractions of the business that Pokemon Go did just a few years back. Right. So little concerned at Disney that they're, they're walking something similar out as part of the 50th anniversary. Well, the thing that they that they could do here, they could always sell the stuff that attaches to your magic band, right? I mean, in mm. and of itself, that's a that's a revenue stream, right? There you go. All right, cool. Let's uh let's move on to the uh, to the second patent then. Sure. Mm-hmm. This one was uh was interesting. It's uh systems and methods to mm. trigger presentation of in-vehicle content. So this one looks like it'll use your magic band in a uh, in a minivan or on Magical Express to show you highlights of your trip. Oh yes, yes, Len. <laughs> so uh, so I'll give you so I'll read the background. Right. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The background says modern vehicles include advanced systems for navigation and entertainment. For example, navigation systems may prompt a driver of required maneuvers using advanced maps as well as voice-based interactions. And entertainment systems, including audio and visual systems, are a staple in most vehicles and can, can be found throughout the vehicle. For example, a video screen might be mounted to the backs of headrests and or on purpose-built entertainment systems. So the idea here is that you detect a physical object and then you display something in the vehicle related to it. And they actually mention in the summary, by way of non-limiting illustration, the physical object may be an RFID-enabled wearable device the wearable, the wearable device may be configured to track a user's experience in the real world, for example, through a theme park. The provision of content specific to the recent and or anticipated use of the physical object may include prompting an entertainment system in the vehicle to play visual and or audio content, e.g. an animation, related to the experiences in the real world, such as showing the places they visited in the theme park. So the idea is you get into a Disney vehicle wearing your magic band, and it either shows you things that you could do or shows you things that happened. The way I've heard this described is this is the highlight reel. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's the highlight reel. Yeah. yeah. Remember how we talked about how they were looking to replace the photographers and things like Anna and Elsa's summer hoose with... And they did. They have. Okay. So I've, think about I've seen them. In, uh, I've, so for example, in, um, in Test Track now mm-hmm. in the post show, Yep. There are no more photographers in front of the. That's all automated boxes now. These days, you don't just get one photo of your character encounter. You get five. You get the the arrival, the greeting, the pose for the camera, and then oh yeah, you get like a, you get everything. You get the walk up. It's almost like a it's it's a little short video. Supposedly, the the algorithm has been written for the highlight reel. What would people want to see on the way back to the to the airport? And it's like, okay, they want to see the family going down Splash Mountain. They want to see that moment with Mickey. I mean, it's it's going to be a 60-second to, depending on the amount of footage they have available, 60-second to two-minute long film of quick shots of you and your family having enjoyed your time at Walt Disney World and ending with a message to the effect of, if you want a significant discount on your next trip to Disney World, here's the address. Oh, that's genius. Look at all the fun you have. Yeah. So book another trip right now. It's like the ultimate bounce back offer. But it's you starring in your own ad. You're Uh, starring, exactly. You're starring in the commercial yourself. Oh, 
The timetable for getting this system up and running is the 50th anniversary, because again, they believe that there is a significant segment of the public that perhaps has held off on going to Walt Disney World or that sort of thing, has been resistant, but will come for their 50th anniversary world. So the, the idea and is... And then you'll get a significant number of them for a second trip, there a bonus go. trip. Yep. So. Oh, so smart. Yeah. That's like, that's like not, not a bad idea. I, I knew it was uh, something related to the highlight reel, but and I figured that there was going to be a way to... Uh, you know, sell it, but that's that's pretty creative. Yeah, you know, it's that first taste of heroin is free business plan, land. <laughs> and didn't the uh, is it the Magical Express or the Disney Cruise Line buses that now got their own personal TV screens in the back of the headrests? I believe it's it's the Cruise Line, but by the time this goes live, it'll be everyone. Well, there we go. They're going to upgrade the fleet. So again, it's not the question of ah. everybody in the bus is watching your family do this. It's it's keying off to you having this experience, you know, just eight inches in front of your face, you know, out of the seat back. Not a bad idea at all. No. I don't like it. Yeah. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And after the break, Jim and I discuss an Epcot holiday rumor that's almost certainly not true. But boy, howdy, mm-hmm. is it interesting. We'll be right back. All right, Jim, let's talk about Epcot holiday rumors. Before we begin, folks, let me just say that while the event I'm about to describe actually happened, the thing we're going to discuss is almost certainly not true, but it's a good idea for a lot of reasons. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if the thing uh, that is almost certainly not true actually happens. All right, Jimmy, you ready for this? Yep. Uh, Last week, I got a call from a friend who had just called Disney to book an Epcot resort stay for December. And in the process of booking that stay... A friend was told by the Disney cast member who was helping with the uh, the hotel reservation that an Epcot resort in December would be a great idea because they'd heard that something like the Osborne Lights was coming to the World Showcase pavilions. The idea, uh, as it was explained, was that each country would get a lights display that represents the winter holiday traditions of that country. So I asked Disney about this since I heard about it and I didn't hear anything back. That's not unusual because they generally don't answer my emails on things like this. But you know, the important thing to note if you're Disney or Disney's lawyers is that I went through the process, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> With that out of the way. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I don't think it's actually happening, Jim, but something like the Osborne Lights thing makes sense on a number of levels. And that's what I wanted to talk about with you. Mm-hmm. For one thing, we know that most of the Osborne Lights were destroyed or sent back to Arkansas when the run was over. So the cast member saying it was like the Osborne Lights is an important distinction. Had they said that, you know, the Osborne lights, uh, we would have known that was crazy talk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Also, not for nothing, but when Rise of the Resistance opens on December 5th, wouldn't it be nice if the other parks had something that could pull away some of those crowds from the studios and their nine open rides? I'm just saying. So mm-hmm. Disney's, already, Disney's already shown that they're willing to try to balance out morning crowds. Mm-hmm. by running extra, extra magic hours at the Magic Kingdom and, uh, and Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing new and big to pull away evening crowds, is there? Not yet. No. Rivers of Light, James, is not mm-hmm. going to do it. By the way, uh, somebody sent me a picture of Rivers of Light lights crowds yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think I could actually count and identify the number of people that were, uh, the, uh, everyone that was in the, the audience. There were, there were not many. That still breaks my heart. I mean, all, <laughs> all that money in the facility and they, they still haven't figured out the show. All right, so Rivers of Light is not going to pull people away from the studios at night. And let's not forget that over at the Magic Kingdom, Mm -hmm. the park is going to close early for very merry, what, every other day? Mm -hmm. Right. So 
So on the and on the nights that the Magic Kingdom is open late, it's already crowded. So so the Magic Kingdom is not going to help, mm-hmm. and the Animal Kingdom is not going to help. No, James, mm-hmm. the park that can best help with evening crowds, and I might point out the extensive dinner needs mm-hmm. that come with those crowds is Epcot, specifically World Showcase. How does this sound to you so far, Jim? I'm loving the logic. <laughs> all right. So we uh, the other thing is we all know that Future World's going to be a demolition zone this winter, right? So they've got no new rides. No new shows there. No big food festival. And half the park's going to be the wonderful world of construction barricades. Plus, they're also in between mm-hmm. their two big nighttime shows. Illuminations will have closed, but the new Spectacular will not have opened. Mm-hmm. We'll have the interim Epcot Forever nighttime show. And I'm looking forward to that one because I think the show's kind of fan service more than general appeal. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's really going to drive the average guest to Epcot, right? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, and I realize I, it looks like I'm trying to draw things together here, but but bear with me on this, folks. Mm-hmm. What's going to get people to use and tell other people back home about the new Skyliner segment that connects International Gateway to the other parts of the resort? I'm saying uh, an Osborne-style light show is relatively inexpensive. People would love it. Mm-hmm. It's Instagrammable, especially from a gondola, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. It would give people without very merry tickets a place to go. And it'd balance out nighttime crowds across the resort when Rise opens at the studios. There's a lot of reasons, Jim, that this makes sense. Now, I will I do say that it feels like we're a couple of PowerPoint slides away from pitching this to Bob Jacob JPEG himself. What do you think, Jim? It's all good, solid reasoning, and there are just enough clues bubbling up that there's definitely potential for something like this happening, but Epcot has always been a challenge when it comes to the poor folks who work at holiday service. I mean, sheer size of the park, 300 acres versus Magic Kingdom's 142 acres, the studio's 154. The only animal kingdom is larger with 500. And then when you factor in the dual nature of the theme park, it's not like you can create one generic element that then allows holiday celebrations to be held all the way around World Showcase Lagoon. But you talk of the Osborne Lights and the Osborne Lights really only came about in 95 at Disney because the previous year, Epcot had brought in the uh, Lights of Winter show. Ah, uh, yes. That opened November of 1994. This was a clone of something that had been done for the Christmas of 93 at Euro Disneyland. 93 is when the resort is circling the bowl. They don't have <laughs> a whole lot of money to do holiday decorations, uh, but they still need to create a reason for guests to come out to, to visit the park over the holiday season. And somebody comes up with this idea of creating this series of archways that run down Main Street, USA. There's a 30,000 holiday lights strung on these things. And, you know, the holiday music piped in, and it, it turns out it was an affordable fix that actually worked. They, you know, they, they got a significant attendance bump at Euro Disneyland during that time. And the folks at Epcot, they noticed this because they've been having the same issue. I mean, they've tried doing holiday stuff, but the problem is Epcot is so huge that, you know, for example, okay, so let's put Dickens carolers in in the UK pavilion, you know, and it's like, well, that's wonderful, but that's one out of what, 11 pavilions? Yeah, that's the that's my one concern about this uh, rumor that it's it'd be a lot more than one area. Now, granted, Osborne Lights used to be on Streets of America, which yep. was itself pretty big, and it was mm-hmm. fairly elaborate too. 
but this would be this would be a whole different scale. Yeah. When Disney World got the information out of Euro Disneyland in the spring of ninety four about how what the impact had been for the holiday season of nineteen ninety three. Uh, they immediately pivoted. And- <laughs> they, they grabbed all the college programs they kids yeah. they they could, uh, sent them to Home Depot to get hammers and nails. <laughs> no, that's exactly. Turn to central shops, and we need, you know here are the plants. We need this, and they spend the summer building these things. By you know the the, the fall, they're putting the footers in. July of ninety four was also when uh, Communicore became Interventions, and so you had this sort of six month window of time where you had guests going over to Epcot to check out Innoventions. Then in November, we got the Lights of Winter walkway connecting Future World and a World Showcase Lagoon. And then once you got the World Showcase Lagoon, this was the year they introduced Holidays Illuminations. So coming into January of 1995, and, and Epcot's able to sort of you know, show off these huge attendance surges they saw because they got these lights in there. And you know, the folks at Disney MGM were like, hey, we want one of those. It's 94, gave way to 95. And just this past week, Len, we had Tower of Terror celebrate its the 25th anniversary of its opening at that park. That definitely made the attendant surge. But the very thing that you were mentioning about, you know, the notion of because it was a nighttime thing. Right, exactly. Opening Tower of Terror brought people there during the day, but they didn't say to have dinner. They didn't spend their time shopping in the way they did with uh, Holiday Illuminations and the Lights of Winter. So when Jennings Osborne was battling with the Arkansas Supreme Court about being able to display those over three million lights in his neighborhood in Little Rock, I mean, Disney literally raised their hand and said, hey, if you're tired of fighting those guys, come here. And that's what happened. And, And they got their own thing. So... I mean, you have things like Morocco, which has has always every single show sat out. Yeah, been dark. Yeah, yeah, because of that's their take on you know. Again, it's the kingdom of Morocco that that paid to build it, and they call the shots, and they don't want to be part of what they perceive as a fairly gaudy holiday celebration. So maybe they maybe they wouldn't participate. That's fine. I mean, Lights of Winter lasted at Disneyland Paris through 2004, and the thing that ultimately shut it down was they had began to get complaints from guests about how when they're there for the holiday season because of this archway, they, people couldn't get decent shots of Sleeping Beauty Castle. So starting in 2005, they switched to what they called the Princess Chandeliers, which were also holiday and festive, but they, they hung to the side of the streets. So, they sort of, so you still had a clear shot of the castle. Uh-huh. The folks in guest relations at Disney in, I want to say, starting in 2006, started keeping track of the number of guests who were complaining about the fact that, well, when I come to Epcot during the holiday season and I want to get a shot of Spaceship Earth while I'm walking around World Showcase Lagoon, I I get these 30,000 holiday lights in the way. 2008 season wraps up. 2009, we have Thomas Smith on the official Disney blog saying that while Lights of Winter Camp Canopy has been enjoyed for years, the technology to operate the lights is obsolete, prompting us to retire the lights and find a new experience. And Len, that was 10 years ago. Well, these things take time, Jim. I guess so. I guess so. Although I will, I will note that if you put the lights up in World Showcase, it will mm-hmm. not block the view uh, for photographs of Spaceship Earth. Yeah. Get, again, this is one of the, the reasons that I think you were legitimately on to something here. You know, 2008, 2009 instead of carefully pulling down the arches 
and taking them back to central shops to be retooled and readied for the next season. Uh, Holiday Services just tears them down and piles them in the parking lot at Epcot, where they sit for a number of years. In fact, that was honestly one of the sadder things of Marathon Weekend is that people... <laughs> I never noticed this, probably because it was dark when I was running them. Oh, but, yeah, uh, they, they were sitting there for oh, a couple... Were they really? Yeah, and it's just... The joy of the holidays, you know, 30,000 holiday lights sitting, rotting in the central Florida sun. So, <laughs> so, so we're not seeing That's those fine. come back, Fenton. No. Boy, I'd love for this to be true because, frankly, again, for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, giving people a reason to use the Skyliner, giving people, especially when you consider that how much of the work for the redoing of Epcot is going to be in the future world corridor there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they don't even have the option of doing the Lights of Winter again because the the bridgeway is actually going to be the the artery that's being cleared out. So, Like I said, if you're, uh, if you're from Disney and you're on the fence about uh, doing this idea, let me know if you need help with the PowerPoint. I am, uh, I am happy to assist. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish Show today. On next week's show, we get to listener questions. So send in anything you've got. And for more of us, in the meantime, head on over to DisneyDish.VanCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who reminds you that the Air Force's warning not to storm Area 51 on September 20th, because there are no aliens there, is exactly what you'd expect the Air Force to say if they were hiding aliens in Area 51. Before you head out there, the closest airport is Las Vegas. Please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.